We have a dear saint in this church who has a home at Hilton Head, who one year was so kind to let my family use it for a vacation. And the kids are small at the time, so they all need naps. And when they go to take naps, they hear us watching TV, so they often come in the room. So I make sure always to watch something that's age-appropriate. This means I'm watching Disney movies. I'm watching my favorite Disney movie, Moana. Have you ever seen Moana? It's really fascinating because it's about this Pacific Islander child, the child of the king of an island who wants their people to stay on the island for fear of what is out there in the ocean. What's really fascinating is that the writers did their research. In human history, the Pacific Islanders traveled by canoe across the hemispheres, across the oceans. They used the stars and the warm water to navigate their way from one island to the next, and then for generations, they stopped. And then at some point, they begin to travel again, and they populate all the Pacific Islands. Now, we don't know why they stopped and why they started again, but Moana is this kind of fairy tale exploration, explanation or exploration as to why. Moana is drawn to the ocean where her father doesn't want her to go, and she always says, see the line where the sky meets the sea? It calls me. And no one knows how far it goes. And she wants to go. Now, she's been listening to the crazy tales of her crazy grandmother, who reminds me a lot of you, Mom, my mother. She's kind of the free spirit on the island, telling stories that the king doesn't want to be heard. And the story she tells is about how there's this demigod, and this demigod steals the heart of Tafiti. And Tafiti's angry, and the, and the earth is dying because of it. And somebody needs to go find Maui, this demigod, take the heart back to Tafiti and put it where it belongs. And so she journeys and she finds Maui, and that's, that guy's played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's all a lot of good fun, good music. Lynn Manuel Miranda wrote the music, it's awesome. And she finds this place where there's this volcanic, evil-looking, angry monster. And Maui wants to defeat this monster, but it turns out that the girl Moana knows who this is. It's Tafiti, a spirit associated with creation. And she's had something taken from her, and she's angry, and the world is dying. And then you see slow motion, Moana walking with the heart. And the music gets really slow. And she says to Tafiti, this angry monster that looks like it's trying to kill them, she says, I've crossed the horizon to find you. I know who you are. I know your name. Who you truly are. And she restores the heart to Tefiti. And no longer is Tefiti an angry monster, but a lush island and creation gets healed again. I watch that story and I say, that right there is a Jesus story. My brother-in-law looks at me and goes, how on earth is this a Jesus story? He's on his phone searching through this 
this Samoan folk legend and Samoan religion, he's telling me this has its roots in real Samoan belief. This isn't Jesus. I said, no, that's a Jesus story. How? Well, I said, isn't the God that we love and know the God who crosses the horizon to find us? It's a God revealed in Christ who steps from heaven, crosses an expanse to find you and me. And that, and that God looks us in the eye and says, I know who you are, who you really are. I know your name. And then fixes our broken heart and the rest of creation. How is this a Jesus story? I think I just proved it to you. Because that'll preach. You know, we're talking about this idea of what things make us doubt. And here's one of them. The fact that there's a story after story after story that sounds very similar to Jesus. Different religions that even predate Christianity. Different mythologies. Different folklores. There is a history of the world where people have told stories about God becoming like us dying for us, and then rising again. When I was in college, I was working at this fine dining restaurant, and I was always reading philosophy up at the front by the uh, hostess desk as we waited for the shift to begin. And this student from the nearby university came to me, and he said, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And I, I would try to be erudite in my philosophy and my theology. And then he asked if I was a believer in God, and I said, yes, we go down that whole conversation path. And he goes, how is it that you can be a Christian? Don't you know that there's really nothing unique about the Jesus story? Now, I disagree. I think there's a lot that's unique about the Jesus story. However, the point is not lost on me. It's also similar to a lot of other stories. And his conclusion, having had only one religion class in college while he was a freshman, because now he has the answers, his conclusion was that if it's unique, it must not be true. This is a struggle that we deal with. The struggle that we deal with in our world is that many people get defensive about their faith, and we produce a field of work called apologetics. And apologetics is a fancy word meaning a defense of the faith. And so we have a whole world of books out there that defend the Christian faith. My problem with most of them is that they defend the faith against modern ideas by using modern ideas. It's like trying to play on the same field of play I think better defense of our faith would be to subvert the field of play, and I know I'm running deep here. That's another lesson for another time. But people have written books on this, trying to find something unique, trying to find something different, because Jesus isn't Osiris or Dionysus, although those are stories where a divine person dies for the world and comes back. And there's a whole host of literature Carl Jung, the great psychoanalyst, develops an archetypal understanding of the human being through these great myths and stories. 
It was adopted by Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist who wrote books called The Hero of a Thousand Faces, where he says that every hero story from Greek mythology to Christian religion is basically the same sort of story. The hero just changes their face. It's a different character. By the way, there is no such thing as Star Wars and George Lucas without Campbell. And the lesser scholar, much lesser, Jordan Peterson is now writing books on the same topic. Oh, it's out there aplenty. There's tons of literature and ideas out there percolating in our world that try to say to us that the Jesus story isn't unique. Therefore, we shouldn't believe. There's something compelling about the story, right? As uh, Brother Carswell read to us this morning, we rehearse a passage, two passages that are really well known in our canon, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where St. Paul tells the church at Philippi to have the same attitude that Jesus had, and it says this about Jesus. Jesus, though divine, did not consider equality with the divine something to be grasped or exploited, but rather he poured himself out. The Greek word here is kenosis, which is where you get kinesiology from, movement language, right? The idea is that God is full in Jesus, but Jesus pours himself out, emptying himself to the point of sheer humility to become even like a servant. Though he could just rule like God with a scepter. No, no, no. He came in and poured himself out and became a slave. Obedient so much, he goes to the point of death, death even on a cross. All for the sake of you, me, and the rest of creation to restore the heart. What's really incredible about this telling is that most scholars believe, and I think they're right, is this is not unique to Paul. Paul didn't have inspiration and jot these lines down. He's actually quoting a hymn. So if you're reading a book written in 50 or 60 A.D., this hymn was widely circulated by the churches and in use, so it's a really old hymn. It's so close to the actual time of Jesus. There's this idea that our God became as us for us. And then John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we, we tend to read it wrong, right? We tend to read it like American romantics. God loved you so much. So much affection in his heart for you. That's not how to read it. Better translation. God loved you in this way. That God handed his own self over for you to be healed and made whole. There is something compelling about the story, isn't there? That's why you can watch films like Gran Torino. You ever see Gran Torino? Clean Eastwood? At the end of the movie, this old racist guy whose neighborhood has changed by gangs, takes a kid under his arm, pours into him this East Asian child, and he dies for him. He dies like Cool Hand Luke dies at the end of the movie by lying on a cross or on the ground in a cross shape. It's not lost on us, the power of it. Yet, it's not as unique as we may want it to be. And that causes many to doubt. 
Does it cause you to doubt? C.S. Lewis would remind us that myths are not stories that happen to be false. Myths have their truth in what is truly transcendent. We tend to think of myth as made up, but myths don't have to be made up. They are stories with symbolic, metaphorical, and truth wrapped up in them, and they may have their source in what is above. But he says in an essay called Myth Became Fact, that it's not strange that other religions would have myths that sound like ours. What's unique is that our myth, Jesus, has become fact. I think he's right. You can read that online for free. It's only five pages long. He does a great job with it. Still, we may struggle this morning and say, but why? Why is it the case that there would be other religions and myths and folklore that sound similar to our own? Let me say this. If it's true that we, what we believe, that God has created the cosmos, that there's not one element within the cosmos that doesn't come from the imagination and freedom of God, that if the logos of God, the meaning of God, what we call the Word of God, isn't present at the foundation of the cosmos. If that's true, then it wouldn't it be the case that we would see glimpses of the divine everywhere? There's another fun Greek word. And this is what I believe comes from the great tradition of Christianity that helps me wrap my mind around it. The Greek word is logos, and the second word is spermatikos. You hear the word sperm and spermatikos, which means seed. Again, logos means word. That's how we use it basically when we say Jesus is the word of God. But I want you to think about it in deeper ways. Jesus is the word, the meaning, the communication, the explanation of God. Well, what Christian theology has taught for some time is that there's the Logos spermatikos, the seed of the gospel, almost everywhere you look. If you're made by God and in the image of God, is it any wonder that you wouldn't be in some way telling stories that sound like the story that we need? The reason why I think, my friends, why we see seeds of the gospel everywhere, and the reason why myths come up with a similar-sounding story, although ours is unique, the reason why other religions have come up with a similar-ish sort of story is because it is the story that we need. We're made to need it. We're made to need God. We're made to know God. We're made to walk toward God, yet though we walked, walked away, and we made needing a God who will cross the horizon for you and me, who will look into your eyes and say, I know who you are, who you, who you really are made to be, and will fix your broken heart. Oh, this doesn't cause me to doubt. It gives me great hope because that means the world is looking for the gospel everywhere. It means the world is yearning for the story. The better question is, are you telling it well? We have a God who's crossed the horizon to find you, knows your name, 
those who you're really meant to be. And it'll fix your broken heart.